If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to go to the Gospel of Luke. We are in Luke 8 this morning. And as you're turning there, um, just want to remind you that, as Jeff said at the top of the service, uh, this is a 34-week sermon series as we go through and look at different characters of the Bible, 17 characters in the Old Testament, 17 characters in the New Testament. And the reason why we're doing this is because, have you ever noticed how God uses really, really different and unique people uh, to do his work uh, on earth uh, and in the kingdom of God? And the big idea is that all of us have gifts. We all have talents. Uh, we all have these things um, that God has given to us. We call them God-given gifts, right? But God did not gift you. God did not give you these gifts and these skills and these passions for your own personal edification. He gave them to you so that you can share them, so that you can serve other people. Uh, Mark Twain uh, once wrote, uh, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. And I love uh, all the Mark Twain quote quotes. And, and uh, as Christ followers, I think one of the beautiful things about this uh, understanding our purpose in this world, we know what our purpose in this world is. It's to worship God, it's to serve God, and it's to love and serve other people. That is all of our purpose. So uh, I don't think that's what Mark Twain had in mind, uh, but as Christ followers, that is our purpose. Worship God and serve and love other people. Now, in the midst of that, each of us has a particular or a unique uh, how. And so this uh, sermon series is really kind of getting at not just the, 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 the who and the why, uh, but also the how. How are you gifted? How has God gifted you uniquely uh, to serve in this world? And the other thought that we, we talked about last week is that we don't just learn and discover our gifts, uh, but we put them into practice. And one of the things I've uh, discovered through the years uh, in my nearly 30 years of ministry is that some people know what their gifts are. They know how God has given them uh, these blessings in their lives. But oftentimes they just lie dormant in their lives. And the purpose is not only to discover your gift, learn about how God has blessed you, but then actually put these things into practice. And, and I just got to thinking this week, what if uh, the greatest of all time, the GOAT Tom Brady, what if he decided once upon a time, oh, I know what my athletic gifts are, that I'm really, really talented. But he thought to himself, you know, I'm not going to Michigan. I'm not playing football. I'm just going to play catch in the backyard with my buddies or my supermodel wife or my kids or I don't know. I think if we, you know, if we heard that Tom Brady just decided to never play football, we'd be like, well, that's a waste. That's a shame, right? You football fans, am I right? But the same thing is true for you and for me. If we are not living into and leaning into our God-given gifts, uh, we are completely missing uh, why God gave us these gifts. You have gifts. And what we talked about last week is not only that you have gifts, but that you are a gift from God. Every human being, because we are made in the image of God, we are gifts from God. And so today, as Jeff said, we are going to look at the life of Mary Magdalene, uh, a woman who was made in the image of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. 
for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as you look up at the screen, what do you see? Next slide. There we go. How many of you see a red dot? Okay, we see a red dot on the screen. How many of you, when I said, when you look up at the screen and you see what was your immediate reaction is, there's a white sheet. There is a white slide. There is something just glaringly white up there. How many of you, that was your first reaction? Or was your first reaction, there's a red dot up on the screen? You know, I want to remind you, that as we look at this screen, 99% very scientifically of this screen is white. And yet all of us focus on that red dot. And I don't know if we focus on the red dot because that's just human nature or we've been culturally trained to focus on that one little thing. But as we think about what it means that we are all gifts from God, what I want to encourage us is to not focus on the red dots in our own lives or the red dots we see in other people's lives. That God has made you in the image, in his own image, wonderfully, beautifully, incredibly. To not focus on those things in our lives that are sinful and broken. But to look at one another as potential, as children of God. When we experience other people and we focus on the white, not on the red, we are seeing them as God sees them. That they have potential to serve in this world. And this is really the story of Mary Magdalene. A woman, when she shows up on the scene, a woman who had a reputation, everyone saw the red dot. You might be thinking to yourself, well, which one, which Mary is Mary Magdalene? Because there's a lot of Marys in Scripture, right? There's a whole bunch of them. So, you know, Mary was a very common name. Like today, we have common names like John or Tom. In their day, Jesus' day, Mary was a common name. And many people named their daughters Mary in honor of Miriam, the sister of Moses. So there's lots of Marys throughout the New Testament. Now I will say, there is also some disagreement about who these Marys are. So what I'm going to share with you this morning, I just kind of want to lay out some of the Marys for you so you can kind of go, oh, it's that Mary. It's, it's, she's, she's that one. There's not 100% uh, consensus by biblical scholars on who all these Marys are. So take this as the gospel according to Brian in terms of uh, all, who all these Marys are. So let me just give you, um, I'm going to just lay out six different Marys from the New Testament. The first one is uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is the Virgin Mary. This is the Mary who the angel Gabriel came to and said, you're going to have a baby. And even though you're engaged to this guy, Joseph, 
I'm going to do something miraculous. So we know this story. Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, lived in Nazareth, had baby Jesus in Bethlehem. And throughout his life, we see Mary show up every now and then. And of course, uh, we honor uh, and celebrate uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Second Mary is uh, Mary of Bethany. And uh, she is the Mary who anoints Jesus' feet. She is the one uh, also in the story of Mary and Martha. Remember that? Martha's uh, running around, scurrying, doing all sorts of stuff. And there's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus looks at Martha because she's moaning and groaning and says, Martha, Martha, look at your sister Mary. She's doing a wonderful and beautiful thing. Uh, this is also uh, the same Mary, uh, who her sister is Martha, and their brother is Lazarus. And you guys know that story, right? Lazarus, come out. And Jesus uh, raises him from the dead. That's Mary of Bethany. Then there's Mary, wife of Clopas. And you're like, who's that? Well, she is uh, not only the wife of Clopas, but also the mother of James and Joseph, uh, she was at the cross. Um, sometimes she's referred to as the other Mary, which is super not helpful, but she shows up. And this is uh, Mary, the wife of Clopas. Then in uh, the, uh, the book of Acts, there's another uh, Mary, um, the mother of John Mark. And maybe you've heard this name, John Mark. He was an evangelist uh, and he traveled around. But John Mark is the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark. His mom was also named Mary, uh, which is awesome and super confusing. And what it tells us in the book of Acts is that she would open her home to people to come in and pray. And one time there was a prayer meeting going on in uh, Mary's house, and Peter, uh, who was in prison, uh, God performed this miraculous uh, release from prison. That happened in Mary's house. So there's another Mary. And then um, the fifth Mary uh, shows up in the book of Romans. Uh, so the Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans, uh, writes this about this Mary, is that she worked very hard. So somehow she's a great worker uh, in the kingdom, in the early church. So those are five Marys uh, that, that uh, the New Testament uh, writers uh, write about. Then there's Mary Magdalene. And if uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is, I'll just say, the first lady of the gospel, then Mary Magdalene is the second lady of the gospels. Her name shows up, Mary Magdalene, 14 times in the New Testament, more than any other woman in the New Testament. Her name keeps showing up. She actually gets more ink and uh, more press and gets more honorable mention than, frankly, most of the disciples. I mean, she just keeps showing up over and over. She, Mary, is, Mary Magdalene is also the first person to uh, witness the resurrected Christ. Not the first woman, the first person to uh, experience the resurrected Christ. So she is a, a very important person in the life of the church. And you're probably wondering, why does she get so much ink? Why does she get so much press? Why does she show up? so much in the New Testament. Well, we're going to first, uh, we first meet Mary in the Gospel of Luke, uh, beginning with verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled uh, from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. 
the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of uh, Chusa, uh, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So this is where we first meet Mary or Mary Magdalene and encounter her in Scripture. And so this morning, what I want to just kind of lay out there or give us are, are just three different thoughts about this, what we learn from the text uh, in just these uh, few verses about this uh, enigmatic woman, Mary Magdalene, this mysterious woman, this woman that just shows up over and over uh, throughout the Gospels. The first thing we just read about in the text is... Mary called Magdalene. Magdalene simply means that she was from a village called uh, Magdala. That's where she was from. It's just stating her geography, where she was from. And Magdala was a fishing village in the northwest uh, on, on the coast uh, there at the Sea of Galilee. Pretty sleepy place, except for Magdala had a reputation. It was the red light district, and everybody knew it. And so Mary Magdalene, Mary comes from this village, the red light district. And so when, whenever anybody meets her immediately, they're like, oh, that's where you're from. And so immediately she's got at least one red dot on her. And throughout history, some people have speculated, well, she must be a prostitute then, right? Because she's from this, this town that's known for prostitution. And I would just caution us against saying that Mary Magdalene uh, formerly came from a life of prostitution. The Bible doesn't say that. We don't know that. And I, I don't think we should put that on her. We know that she was from that village. But to say that she was a prostitute, I, I just don't think that the, the, the texts, uh, the, the, the biblical texts support that. But certainly she came from the red light district. Um, if you look at her throughout history, um, in artist depictions, oftentimes she's got red hair. So she's kind of this, this spirited person. Again, the Bible doesn't say she had red hair, but it's, it's this way of understanding her spirit and, and who she was. She was definitely a woman with spunk, okay? Um, so this is what we know about her, and I want to be fair to her. I want to uh, look at the white, uh, the white sheet and not focus on the red dots, but everybody else in her day and time certainly had a red dot on her. So she was from the village of uh, Magdala. Second thing we know about her is that she had seven demons once upon a time. And that she was healed or she was cured. And again, the text does not tell us what that healing looked like. I don't know if one day she met Jesus and he's like, boom, let's get rid of all these, these demons. Or if um, over the course of time, Jesus took one demon away, then another demon away, and then another demon. We, we don't know what this healing looked like. We also don't know what the, what these, how these demons manifest themselves. And so we want to be real careful what these demons looked like and how they manifest themselves. We don't know if she had like bipolar. We don't know if she had like severe depression or severe anxiety. Uh, we don't know if she had an addiction. We don't know exactly what those demons were. But it says that she had seven demons and at some point in time she was healed. 
And as we read the story of Mary Magdalene, what we see is not only was she healed from these demons in her life, but that she was completely transformed. That she was freed up to live a life that God had invited her uh, to live. And the third thing we learn about in the text, in this very brief text here, is that she was a disciple of Jesus. She wasn't just a tag-along following her husband. She wasn't just following her dad. But she was an actual disciple of Jesus Christ. And it says she was supplying provisions. So here's these 12 guys walking around with Jesus for three years, village to village. She was helping to take care of them, as were the other ladies, right? And this is what's going on. She was an actual disciple of Jesus Christ. She was a female disciple of a Jewish rabbi. And I just want to stop here for a moment because we've talked about this a couple times. Uh, John Petrillo talked about this two weeks ago. I talked about it three weeks ago. This was extraordinary. This kind of thing did not happen. In ancient times, there was this, kind of these concentric circles in terms of how social structure was set up. And in the middle, the highest, most powerful, most important person was the Caesar, the guy in Rome with all the power. And everybody knew that he was great and he was powerful. And then the, the next circle out were, uh, I'll just say, regional leaders, people like Pontius Pilate or, or Herod. They were powerful. They were known as great and important people of the day. The next circle out, it was the, the religious leaders, the, the, the priests, the folks who were taking care of, and uh, the, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, and all these people who had this, these, this different power structure. Then the next people out uh, were getting further and further out, lower and lower down on the rung of the social structure. Those were what we call the, the free people. Roman citizens, they were not slaves, and so they had some power, they had some prestige, they, they probably had some money, and they could kind of do what they wanted, and, and they were also considered great. The next circle out were foreigners, people who were coming in, dignitaries, and then the last circle out were the slaves, the women, the children. They were at the lowest rung of the ladder. And women were considered helpless. They were considered defenseless. They were considered deficient. And we talked about this before. There was a Jewish uh, rabbi, a very famous rabbi, who said, it's better that the Torah be burned than entrust the Torah to a woman. They didn't trust women. And this is just how women, uh, they fell into the social structure of the day. And then we shared this uh, famous uh, Pharisee prayer. A Pharisee man would wake up in the morning and he would say, Thank you, God, that I am not a slave. Thank you, God, that I am not a Gentile. And thank you, God, that I am not a woman. Are you feeling the love, ladies? This is how it was in Jesus' day and time. No way, no how were the ladies supposed to be near a Jewish rabbi. It didn't happen. They certainly didn't talk to one another. And yet, there's Mary Magdalene having conversation. She is a disciple traveling around with these other ladies. This was absolutely radical. 
and it blew everyone's mind, and frankly, it made all the religious people mad. And so we don't see Mary Magdalene, you know, I mean, she's there throughout over and over and over, but she really comes to the forefront during Holy Week, during that week of passion. And there they are in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying the last couple days, hours of Jesus' life. The armed guards show up to arrest Jesus. The disciples scatter like flies. But the ladies stay and walk alongside Jesus as he journeys. The ladies were there when he's standing before his trial, multiple trials. The ladies were there when he's being tortured. All the guys are gone except for John, the disciple. But the ladies were there. Mary Magdalene was right there. And then as Jesus hung on a cross, again, John the disciple, one guy, where's Peter? Gone. But there's Mary, Mary Magdalene, at the foot of the cross. And Scripture tells us that she was speaking words of consolation. And she was, of course, brokenhearted. Mary Magdalene stood at the cross, knelt at the cross, at the foot of the cross, until Jesus took his last breath. She was one of the last people at the cross. Mary Magdalene was also the first person on Sunday morning when Jesus rose from the grave. Mary Magdalene was the first person as she's sitting in the garden crying and sobbing and wondering where, where Jesus' body is. Jesus shows up. They have this conversation. She's the very first person that he talked to. And she didn't recognize him. And then he says, Mary. And all of a sudden she says, Rabboni, Rabbi. That was Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was the first person, not woman, first person, to receive a commission from Jesus. Jesus looks at her and says, go and tell my disciples that I've risen from the grave. Before any of the guys got this great commission to go and tell people that Jesus has risen from the grave, he said it first to Mary Magdalene. And she was also the first person to preach a sermon. She shows up to the guys and says, I have seen the Lord. First sermon recorded in scripture after Jesus rose from the grave. First preacher in the Bible. Remember, in their culture, women had zero status. In fact, it said that one male, uh, their, their weight, what they spoke was, uh, had more weight than a hundred women. Women were not allowed uh, to testify in court. And yet Jesus chose a woman to proclaim, to let the whole world know that he had risen from the grave. And that woman was Mary Magdalene. I mean, she was a remarkable person. And she shows up over and over. And think about where she started. This woman with a red dot on her. A woman with a reputation. A woman with a background. No wonder Thomas Aquinas called her the Apostolorium Apostola. I don't speak Latin, but basically what he's saying is she was the apostle to the apostles. I mean, think about that title. 
She was the evangelist to the followers of Jesus, the first followers of Jesus. I mean, can you hear how Jesus elevated women in the first century? And I don't, I, I, I don't know if, if, you know, today we, we think about sometimes that Christianity like, keeps women down and um, Christianity puts limits and constraints on, on women. Jesus didn't. He elevated them over and over and over. And he used this woman, Mary Magdalene, a woman with a reputation to truly change the world. Jesus always had women on his radar. It didn't matter if they were sick or widowed, poor prostitutes, slaves, or even having seven, seven demons. He just looked at them, and he talked with them, and he had conversation with them, and he treated them like he treated every single other human being. He wasn't condescending. He didn't treat them as they were deficient or dependent. Every woman he ever encountered, including Mary Magdalene, he looked them in the eye and communicated that they had value and dignity and that they were daughters in the kingdom of God. No red dots. So when I think about Mary Magdalene, and how Jesus treated her as a gift from God. I think this is the same invitation for you and for me. In his book, uh, on page 30, Don Everts writes this, Jesus' view is clear. Because God the Father shows no partiality, neither should his people. How we treat the people around us is a central part of our faith. I think we can all agree with that. I think the problem with that statement is, and the problem with how Jesus treated women and frankly all people, is that it's really hard to do. This past week I was having a conversation with my mom on the phone and she was down at her cellular wireless carrier and they weren't very helpful. She just got so mad. The service reps there. And she just, you know, kind of blurted out to me on the phone, you know, Brian, I just, I know this isn't right, but they were just of this particular background. And I just have an immediate bias against them. I was working on the sermon this week, all week long, and you guys know I spent a lot of time at Panera. And I watch people when I'm in Panera. And there are people in Panera that just great get under my skin. And after I sent my slides to Jeff yesterday afternoon, I'm packing up and I'm just, just again, looking at these people and just disgusted. And I'm like, oh, the sermon's for me. <laughs> it's that person who's at Panera. I, I get it, folks. This is hard to look at other people who are different than us, who are far from God, who are not living into our Christian values, the things that Jesus taught us to do. They have different lifestyles, and they wear it all over themselves, right? And it's those people, ah, those are the people I'm being called to love because they're the Mary Magdalene's 
of our day. We might even think this is an impossible task. How do we do this? How do we look at other people and treat other people as children of God? Regardless of their life decisions, regardless of their sin, regardless of their brokenness. Well, as I've been preparing for the sabbatical, um, taking some, I think you guys know I'm taking a sabbatical starting in May. I'll be gone for a few months. Um, as I've been preparing for this, I've been studying the Protestant Reformations uh, in, on the European continent. And, and what many of you know is uh, the, the, the Reformation coincided with the Renaissance. And the Renaissance literally means the rebirth, the rebirth of the culture that was going on in Europe. And so there was this great theological rebirth, but then also this cultural uh, rebirth. And so as I've been learning and studying all these things, uh, I ran across a guy by the name of Michelangelo. And you guys know Michelangelo. We know Michelangelo. Great painter, right? Famous painter. He's the guy that lay on the scaffolding and, and painted the Sistine Chapel in Rome. I mean, he was a, a brilliant, remarkable, gifted painter for sure. But I think Michelangelo, as we think about him, perhaps what's even more important uh, about Michelangelo is not so much uh, what he painted, but it's what he sculpted. He's really known more as a sculptor. And 11 years before Michelangelo was even born, a commission came uh, to a group of uh, artists uh, in the Florence community and said, we want you to make this extraordinary statue of David, King David, David the uh, giant slayer of Goliath. And so a guy, uh, again, this is long before uh, uh, Michelangelo was born, a guy by the name of Agostino, he was commissioned to do this. So we went down uh, to the local quarry where there was white marble. And I want to and see there's a little, there was that uh, truck, uh, tractor down there wasn't there at the time. But I wanted you to get a, a this is the actual quarry where he went in Tuscany to, 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 to get out this massive slab of white marble. I mean, it's huge. And so they, they carved out this great big piece of, of white marble and they, they took it over uh, to his area where he was going to start to work. And it was this giant slab. And he worked on it for a little bit. And he's like, this isn't going to work. So he quit the job. He put in his two weeks notice, walked off the job. And this giant slab of white marble sat there for 12 years. Many people said it was inferior quality. It wasn't really good piece of slab. And so 12 years later, a guy by the name of Rosalino shows up. He's like, I'll do it. Uh, so they commission him to fashion out this giant statue of David. And he starts at it and he's, he's just a couple days. He's like, nope, this isn't going to work. This is impossible. Nobody can do this. So he walked off the job. That stone slab sat there for another 25 years. It was deemed impossible. In 1501, a young man shows up, 26-year-old artist. His name's Michelangelo. And he then is commissioned to carve out this statue of David. They said, you got two years to do it. He was a little bit of a procrastinator. 
and he was kind of a perfectionist. But day after day, for three years, he went in and he carved and he carved and he carved. And when it was completed, after three years, it was immediately viewed as a masterpiece. 17 feet high. That's nearly two stories. 12,500 pounds. White marble. Now, I didn't, it's, it's the full body of, Michael, uh, of, of David. I just didn't want to leave that image with you the rest of the morning below the waist and everything else. I've never seen it live. I've just seen pictures. Maybe some of you have seen it live. I plan to see it in a few months. It is truly a masterpiece. But everybody said it was impossible. Couldn't be done. And Michelangelo said, let me give it a shot. And so as we look at this masterpiece today, we ask ourselves, how is it that a person just sees this, this rough chunk of marble and sees something beautiful in it? This is what Michelangelo said about David. The sculpture is already complete within the marble block before I start my work. It's already there. I just have to chisel away the superfluous material. He could see it. He could look at that big slab of white marble and he could see the inward beauty. And I think this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To look at other people and see their inward beauty. Because on the outside, they might look like a big, flawed block. But we're called to have Jesus' eyes where we look inside people and acknowledge that no matter how broken, no matter how sinful, no matter how much of a hot mess they are, that they are children of God. They were made in God's image. And we are to look at every single person, Christian or not, in that same way. One of the authors uh, I was reading about David this week, he, he entitled his uh, article this, The Rejected Block of Marble Becomes the World's Most Famous Statue. Isn't that great? I think this is the challenge for us. How do we do it? I think we do it much like how Michelangelo did it. We wake up every day and we just keep at it. We just keep chiseling. Not chiseling other people, Inviting God to chisel us so that we can be refined. We chisel and chisel and chisel. And I, I don't think it's coincidental it took Michelangelo three years to do David. The same amount of time that Jesus was with the disciples. The same amount of time that Jesus was with Mary Magdalene. There's something about three years of going on this discipleship journey together that in the end God does something beautiful. And I think when we live into this challenge, it doesn't happen overnight. This is when God makes something beautiful out of us as we see others around us in the image of Christ. Let us pray. God, thank you. Um, thank you for Mary Magdalene.
a woman with a reputation, a woman with a background, a mysterious woman, Lord, that um, you used in amazing ways that we've talked about this morning. So God, if you can use Mary Magdalene to do your work in the kingdom of God, maybe you can use us too. And God, it all starts with viewing ourselves as made in the image of God, as looking to others as made in the image of God. So God, as we continue on this journey of discovery, how we are blessed and how you are calling us to bless others, chisel us, Lord. Break down the rough edges in our lives. Help us, God, to see the white, the beauty, the wonder in other people. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.